0: Hey, folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Greg Fitzsimmons.
1: Orange pubic hair? Yeah? That's every girl's dream, isn't it? To blow a circus clown?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, hold on a second here. I have orange pubic hair. You know you love it. You love it! And you know what else you love? Policy genius. You know, if there's one thing humans aren't great at, it's predicting the future. Oh my goodness. Just look around, you know, no amount of crystal balls or fortune cookies or tea leaves (laughs) could predict what's going to happen next in 2020. But one way to worry less is to get the right life insurance. That's where policy genius can help. Policy genius makes finding the right life insurance. A breeze in minutes, you can compare quotes from the top insurers to find your best price. You could save $1,500 or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. They can also help you find the right home and auto insurance, disability insurance, pet insurance. So, if you haven't found a play by play breakdown of your future inside a crystal ball or a cookie, or whatever, you know, your little horoscopy thing bibbles there. That's okay. Be prepared for anything with life insurance. In just a few minutes, you can find your best price and apply at policygenius.com. Policygenius. We'll always get the future wrong. We better get life insurance right. Also, we've got a bunch, a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of great risk live shows coming up. You can pitch us your stories for these shows, or maybe you just want to watch. Maybe what you're into is just watching. <laughs> on March 4th, we are back at the Virgil in Los Angeles. Our last show at the Virgil was so spectacular. In fact, we're going to feature a story on today's episode from that show. But on March 4th, we're back at the Virgil in LA. On March 13th, we finally returned to Reno, Nevada at the Bluebird, On March 20th, we're in Cleveland, Ohio, at the Museum of Contemporary Art, the MOCA Museum there, March 20th. On March 26th, we're back at Caveat in New York City. On April 17th, we're in New Haven, Connecticut, technically Hamden, Connecticut, at the Space Ballroom, April 17th in uh, Hamden, Connecticut, at the Space Ballroom. Okay, uh, May fifteenth, Dallas, Texas. June twelfth, Durham, North Carolina, at the Motorco Music Hall. June thirteenth, Asheville, North Carolina, at the Grey Eagle. June twentieth, Baltimore, Maryland, at Creative Alliance. Now, whenever you want to check where's Risk happening next, just go to risk-show.com/tour. And whenever you get a hankering to, <laughs> I don't know why I fucking just said hankering, but if you get a hankering to, to pitch us a story, go to risk-show.com slash submissions. Everything you need to know is there Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is Rodrigo e Gabriela behind me now. We're calling this week's episode Improvising. Stories about situations where there was a plan in place, and then there wasn't. In a little bit, we're going to hear from the fabulous Gigi Lee, who is one of our instructors at the Story Studio. But before that, Ron Hart. Ron Hart is a a writer in Los Angeles, and he shared this one at our most recent show at The Virgil. You can find Ron on Instagram at ronhart44, that's H-A-R-T. Here he is now with a story we call Smut.
4: I write family-friendly television, things like shows for the Disney Channel, Fuller House, you know, the type of TV that if you've ever seen it, it's like you were on an airplane and you wonder, who writes that shit? <laughs> that would be me, I write that shit. And I learned how to do it by writing pornos. <laughs> it was 1995, I was 25, underemployed and overly stoned. I was certain I was gonna be a great television writer one day, once Hollywood realized I was a genius. I just had to wait for them to find me on my couch with my bong. <laughs> I wasn't out there, like, networking with, like, agents and producers, but I did know a guy who knew a guy who wrote porn. <laughs> and that was goddamn magical, because back then, porn wasn't this, like, ubiquitous thing you just, like, pull up on your phone and watch in an elevator.
5: <laughs>
4: porn was this dirty secret in the back of video stores and newsstands. It was seedy and dangerous. And I knew a guy who knew a guy who was around all that fucking. (laughs) And one day the guy I knew just kind of offhandedly said, would you ever want to write a porno? And I immediately said, fuck yes! (laughs) Before I knew it, I was on the phone with a a producer who had a very succinct pitch for the film he wanted me to write. He said, it's lesbian big chill. Six chicks in a cabin over the weekend and they're all fucking each other. (laughs) It wasn't a ton of story to work with. But I had been invited into porn land. Surely, once I was around all that fucking, a stray blowjob was going to find its way to me. So you better bet I was going to write the shit out of this script. I poured my heart and soul into it. I named the characters after the six women I'd had sex with in my life up until then. Just imagine all of them fucking each other. I have no way of proving this, but I kind of think it was the most personal porn script ever written. Now, the producer was a guy named Wes. He looked and sounded like Rob Reiner. The only difference is, Wes would direct things like When Harry Ate Sally. (laughs) Now, he really liked the script, but uh, he he wanted to talk about my title. I had named it Waiting for Good O. (laughs) He said, ha, clever. Then he literally ripped the title page off in front of me. (laughs) We don't do clever. And it was filmed with the title, Jizz Starved Bitches. (laughs) But within 48 hours of me saying, fuck yes, I had written a script, the script had been filmed, and I was getting two crisp $100 bills handed to me at a check cashing stand in Van Nuys. (laughs) I was a professional writer. My words were coming out of people's mouths on camera. Not the only thing the mouths did on camera, but I was being paid to create. I was finally doing the thing I had come to Hollywood to do. And I thought, this could be my path. I would get you know, the experience writing actual scripts like a real screenwriter, make all the mistakes. Pornography could be my grad school. And surely, once my voice was out in the world, Hollywood was going to find me. So I poured myself into the art of writing good smut. And here's the thing about these movies. They don't start with like, an idea for like, an emotional journey or a character in crisis. Pornos start with the sets. Wes would call me up and say, Junior, here's what I got. There's a bedroom, there's a bar, there's a living room, there's a kitchen. I got five girls and four guys, and I need seven commercial scenes. Now, commercial scenes was the industry term for fucking. And because the actors got paid different rates for different kinds of fucking, I'd have to take that order like some kind of weird waiter. He's like, all right, I need a girl-girl scene, dual penetration, two anal, a three-way, and one with toys. (laughs) So I would just go and kind of like plot all that into an Excel spreadsheet and try to figure out the who was fucking who stuff and then see if there was a story I could tell. You know, the same process Tennessee Williams used to write plays. (laughs) But unpacking all the data would turn into like the world's weirdest SAT problem. It's like, okay, girl one is on a train leaving Chicago. Before she reaches St. Louis, she needs two dicks sell for penis A and B. So the movies were two hours long but the scripts were 15 pages and one time I finished a script and I had to fax it to Wes this is the 90s he said I gotta put paper in the machine how long is it I said it's uh, 19 pages and he blew a gasket 19 pages Jesus Christ what the fuck am I filming War and Peace find four pages where no one fucks and don't send those (laughs) so I just sent the first 15 pages and they shot that and the movie just kind of stops there's no ending to any of the stories but you can bet your ass there were seven commercial scenes. So, yes, I was a professional writer, but I was starting to get a little disillusioned. I mean, I didn't feel like the actors were committing to the great material I was giving them. <laughs> I wrote a screenplay for a film called Ho Improvement. <laughs> uh, There's a scene where Dave and Seth are watching television, and Dave said, Hey, where's the remote? To Seth, have you seen the remote? Like... To Seth was in parentheses. You're not supposed to say that out loud. But not only had he said it, it wound up in the movie.
5: <laughs>
4: and the studio was just this, like, warehouse in Chatsworth where they take, like, cheap furniture and arrange it like a bedroom, and next to it is a kitchen and an attic. When you walk through it, it felt like you were in the world's grossest Ikea. <laughs> so all the excitement I had when I said, fuck yes, was gone. Like Nobody there wanted to make great movies like me. They just wanted to do stuff cheap and quick. This wasn't a stepping stone into Hollywood. And there were no stray blowjobs coming my way. (laughs) I began to feel like this was not going to be my grad school. I felt like I was better than this. These people were lucky to have me, and I needed to show them how lucky they were. I was going to write a script so good, even they couldn't fuck it up. The infinite jest of porn. (laughs) Because I decided it was my job to fix pornography because obviously what I've been missing all these years was crisp, witty dialogue. (laughs) So I wrote a scathing critique of adult films called Fluff Dreams. Are there any fans? No one. Weird. Um, So Fluff Dreams told the story of the making of a film, uh, a porn film, about a group of superheroes. Because I felt so undervalued as a writer, I made the main joke that there was a porn star who decided what he really wanted to do was write dirty movies. And he had also hired a fluffer to keep him in character. Now, a fluffer was someone who would, like, suck off a male actor to maintain his erection during production. It goes back to the old days when they used to, like, use film and they would have to stop to change canisters and whatnot. Basically, it was a position that had all the shame and stigma associated with adult film without any of the glory. (laughs) And it also hadn't existed for like 20 years. So that was a little hysterical joke of mine. I did a lot of really naughty stuff, guys. Like I had it that the writer had cast an actual pair of brother and sister to play superheroes. And he had written them a porn scene. And the director's like, we can't do incest. (laughs) I was so bad. And so I just faxed that puppy in and waited for the world of porn to change. The night of filming, my phone rang. And I immediately knew it was Wes. I picked up and I heard him say, Junior, get your ass down here right now. I've got a goddamn mutiny on my hands. I said, what what are you talking about? The actors refuse to do your hysterical little script. This is your mess. Come fix it. And he hung up. So I drove stoned from Hollywood to a warehouse in the valley to be the script doctor for a porn shoot. I was so annoyed at the time. But looking back on my life, it's probably the coolest I ever got. Now, a porn stage has a very particular odor. It smelled like gin, cold pizza, and lube. And when I walked in, I saw the actors kind of milling about in the bar set. And they're all in these like cheap kind of party city level superhero costumes. And they're pissed at me. But they're porn actors, so they're overplaying it. They have like crossed arms and knitted brows. They're like sighing and throwing their hair back over the top. I'm like, okay guys. Then I hear Wes say, well, if it isn't William fucking Shakespeare. (laughs) And I'm just so pissed off by now. I'm just like, dude, what is the problem? So I'm going to talk about the part of the script they were objecting to. And before I do, I'd just like to point out that when I wrote the screenplay, I was very young, very full of myself, and very, very high. (laughs) Wes said, they don't like the smelly pussy stuff. (laughs) In the movie, the actor turned writer had hired a fluffer because he claimed his co-star's vagina smelled so bad he couldn't keep his boner. (laughs) So Jill, the actress playing the character with the alleged owner, had brought production to a grinding halt when she heard the line, Her pussy is so rank, it makes me wretch. Yes, that is the kind of crisp, witty dialogue 25-year-old me thought was gold. I thought it was fucking genius and couldn't believe anyone would question that fact. So I said to him, I said, Wes, are you telling me people who are being paid to have sex on camera think something I wrote is too offensive? And he looked me right in the eyes and he said, Not offensive, Junior. Degrading. There's a difference. And I truly believe this is the best advice I've ever gotten about writing. It stopped me cold. I realized that just because these actors weren't as committed to turning low-budget porn into great cinema as I was, that I decided it was okay for me to judge them the way society does, as trash. But they were just there doing a job like I was. So I I went over and I tried to work it out with them. And I huddled up with the Party City Avengers and Jill, who was... uh, (laughs) Dressed like uh, Poison Ivy kind of spoke for the group And she said, you know, they were pissed off It was obvious the script was mocking them And she said that she didn't want to do a movie Where someone said she had smelly pussy Because she wasn't sure the guys watching the movies Would be smart enough to know that that wasn't true And then they wouldn't want to see her in other movies The phrase brand management Wasn't really a thing back then But I was like, this lady is way ahead of the game here I, that's the thing, I've been acting as if no one else there had any dreams or ambitions to do anything bigger than this. Because making fun of them for doing their jobs it didn't make me clever, it made me an asshole. So I said, okay, guys, I, I want to fix this, let's figure it out. I was like, what if we find out that uh, 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 the, the guy is someone that Jill dumped? And, and she could explain that she's, he's lying uh, just to get back at her. And then everyone realized he's a big asshole. And they liked this fix, it, it sounded good to them. Jill liked the part where the writer turned out to be an asshole. So it's like, all right, now we have to change the pages But this has apparently never happened in the history of porn So we're marking up the script with the only instruments we had which were eyeliner pencils and we're like writing an electric teal. But we're putting our heads together, we're getting it done. And like this to this day is the part of production that I love the most when like everyone has to like get together and, and do something at the last minute and, and we're fixing it and it feels good and we start filming again. But there was just so much wrong with the script. We couldn't fix everything. So a character entered and said, whoo can we get some potpourri in here? And Jill just throws up her hands. I was like, wait, it's just one line, we can fix it. But she left and half of the cast went with her. And I turn, and I see Wes swirling a gin and tonic in a red Solo cup, and he says to me, Junior, I need to film one more commercial scene. Then he points to the only two actors that didn't leave and said, these two are up. And I, of course, this was the pair playing brother and sister. So I say to him, Wes, wait, we've already established they're siblings. Now you want them to have sex? How is that going to work? He got this huge grin on his face, handed me an eyeliner pencil, and said, I don't know, but I'm dying to find out. (laughs) So I went off in a corner and quickly scribbled a scene down with my eyeliner pencil, and I swear to God, if you can find a copy of Fluff Dreams, you can watch this. (laughs) Dina lies on a bed. John enters and says, Hey, baby, let's fuck. She says, fuck, we're brother and sister. He says, not anymore. I just found out we're adopted. She says, adopt it? Then let's fuck. <laughs> and girl one and boy two get on a train, leaving Chicago, headed for Bonetown, Town. Fade out. Got put on a VHS tape put into boxes on the shelves in the back of video stores surrounded by thousands and thousands of the same thing. It had become just a drop in the river of smut. But had it changed me? Fuck yes.
2: (laughs) Who could it be?
0: Hi. I'm a delivery man, and I have some cream for you.
6: Wow, that cream looks heavy. You must be strong.
0: I work out. So, do you want me to give you your cream now?
6: I've been waiting for it all day. Oops.
0: I spilled my cream. Do you mind?
6: I don't mind, especially if you spill it on my face.
0: Let us fuck. Let me see them titties.
6: Where's that
5: delivery?
0: I can't believe this. I was delivering cream and look what's happening.
7: So I grew up in Miami. Yeah, 305. <laughs> 305 till I die. Uh, my family is Korean, and I have two younger brothers. And my middle brother, who is uh, two years younger than me, has this story about my mom that's become like family lore at this point. So when my brother was nine, he and my mom went to the mall uh, because they were going to return a pair of sneakers for him at the Foot Locker. And my mom is this tiny Korean woman. Her English isn't great. Um, she makes up her own like English phrases. Like, instead of saying, excuse me, when she goes up to someone, she'll say, do me a favor, please. <laughs> I don't know where she learned this from, but to this day, that is her opening line. So she's at the Foot Locker. She goes up to the sales guy, and she says, "'Do me a favor, please. My son wore these shoes one time. They don't fit. I want my money.'" And the sales guy's like, "'Ma'am, I'm so sorry, but we only give refunds on unworn items.'" And this upsets my mother. And you can tell she's upset because it looks like smoke is blowing out of her nose, like she's like a cartoon bull, and she's like shaking the sneakers, and she says, "'You gave me bad sneakers. I want my money. Give me my money.'" And the guy's like, ma'am, please calm down. And this upsets my mother even more. And she takes the sneakers and she throws them on the ground. And my poor nine-year-old brother, I think he's like hiding behind a shoe display. And the guy's like, ma'am, I'm sorry, but it's against store policy. And my mom, who misunderstands them, says, I don't care if you call the police. (laughs) So this is what we grew up with. Um, So now fast-forward. I'm an adult and I'm engaged to my boyfriend of two years, Patrick And what I love most about Patrick is that he's so calm We could have a flight that's delayed for like five hours, and he'll just say oh more time for my crosswords (laughs) Um, So but now that we were getting married my family was going to meet his family for the first time and his family was a little different Um, They're from Maryland they go to museums, they read The New Yorker, they are white people, in case you can tell. Um, and at the dinner table, they always have like, formal place settings, with china, and folded cloth napkins. My family, we didn't use place settings, and instead of cloth napkins, we used a roll of toilet paper. <laughs> it wasn't stylish, but it was functional. Uh, and my family, we will argue over anything. Um, a fight over the TV remote will turn into a bloodbath. Patrick's family, I've never seen them argue. The closest was when he and his dad disagreed over the right way to carve a turkey. It was pretty intense. <laughs> uh, I don't remember what the right way was because I was too busy eating the turkey later. Um, but you know what, I love my family. They made me who I am, uh, a person who is overly like nice to salespeople. And, and Patrick's family has been nothing but like nice and, and loving and accepting of me, but also because I've only showed them like my good side, like my elite college side that my parents went into debt for. So like, I know how to act like Frasier around them, you know, like, I, I like Sherry. Um, but now they're about to meet like all sides of me, like Frasier's dad. Um, so now it's the weekend of the wedding. We're all in Maryland. My family flies in, it's my mom, my dad, and my youngest brother, uh, the middle brother of the Foot story. Um, He did not come for whatever family drama of the week. And I think, you know what? One less relative, less drama, that's great. And my mom arrives at the airport and she's like, oh, I couldn't sleep for the past three months. Does Patrick's family like ginseng tea? Oh, I should have brought ginseng tea. (laughs) And my brother and my dad are just like, hey. Um, As if they just traveled on this way to, like, see me get braces or something. Uh, So that evening is the rehearsal dinner, and uh, Patrick's sister has organized uh, beforehand a manicure session for all the women to, like, get to know each other in, like, a low-key way. And I think, oh, there's, like, no salespeople involved. Great. So... My mom and I, we go to the nail salon and it's like a typical nail salon, what you'd see in Manhattan, like not too fancy. Uh, But my mom is like wearing like a new dress and she's wearing like jewelry for the first time. And she meets Patrick's mom and his sister. They're like, hi, Miss Lee. Like we're all just very polite. Like we're all pretty nervous. And so then we all go to our individual nail stations and I'm sitting here. My mom's to my left and Patrick's mom and his sister are a couple of tables away. So we're not really close enough to really talk to each other. And I think this is great, like this is ideal. And, and then my mom's manicurist comes over and she's Asian and I think, oh maybe this will make my mom feel more comfortable because this is my mom's first time getting her nails done. But my mom makes a face. It's just a slight flinch, but I know that face. My entire life I have feared that face because when your mother erupts like Mount Vesuvius you read the signs, but she doesn't say anything. And I think, "Oh my god, maybe like she's not going to have any drama for her only daughter's wedding weekend."
3: <laughs>
7: and I like start to relax and a couple of minutes pass and I hear some commotion. And I look over and my mother is glaring at her manicurist. And I ask her in Korean, "What's wrong?" And my mother says, "She told me to pay up front. What she did is not right." And my mom, since this is her first time getting her nails done, she didn't realize that you pay first because otherwise you ruin the base coat. And I'm like trying to explain this to her in Korean, like, no, you smudge the base coat. Like she doesn't think you're gonna skip on the bill. You don't know wanna. I'm like, well, how do you say base coat in Korean? But my mom isn't listening to me. She's just like waving her hand at this manicurist. She says, that's not right. What you're doing is not right. And the manicurist just looks at me like. Can you fix this? Because I have a lot of other customers. Uh, and I'm, like, trying to whisper yell at my mom because I don't want anyone else to hear. So I'm just like, just pay. Just pay her, okay? Stop it. And meanwhile, I look over at Patrick's mom and his sister, and, like, they don't even realize what's going on. They're just like, la da looking at the TV, like Hoda and Kathy. And I'm like, stop it. Just stop it. And my mom turns to me and says, in English, I'm only staying here because of you. So the one time she uses perfect English is to insult me during my wedding weekend. And so I yank her and I say, we're getting out of here. And so now Patrick's mom has noticed and she asks, where are you going? We haven't even done the pedicures yet. And I'm like smiling with like tears streaming down my face. And I'm like, oh, it's okay. Like, I mean, my nails are still wet, but whatever. It's it's just my wedding. We have to leave. So my mom and I go outside. It's just me and her. All bets are off. And I say, get in the fucking cab! And I turn to the cab driver. "Uh, We'll be going to the Marriott and Bethesda, please. Thank you. (laughs) And The entire cab ride is just silent. And we get to the hotel, we go our separate ways. And I meet up with Patrick and I'm like, I can't believe, like who has a fight at a nail salon? And then I think about the rehearsal dinner and how it's at his aunt and uncle's house and it's catered. And I tell Patrick, we have to cancel the rehearsal dinner. And he's hugging me, and he says, I'm so sorry that you feel so upset, but um, people paid a lot of money for this, so. I'm Gonna need you to get it together. I'm like, did you not just hear what I said? What if my mom starts, like, flinging plates at people? She's capable of anything. She's my mother. But I knew he was right, and plus, like, the dinner was an hour away, so just logistically, like, we couldn't cancel, so. We arrive at the dinner and uh, my mom's acting like nothing's happened and people start giving toasts and they're really beautiful toasts and my mom starts to cry and my mom never cries. She makes other people cry, but she doesn't. (laughs) And and I go up
6: to her and I say, mom,
7: what's wrong? Did a waiter look at you wrong? And she says, you know, now that you're getting married, you're not my daughter anymore. You're not part of Patrick's family. And I felt so bad because this entire time I was so worried about his family judging my mom. And I, of course, judged her the most. And this is a woman who came to this country at 25, didn't know anyone, didn't know the language, raised three rambunctious kids who only ever wanted to go to the mall, and I could kind of see why she'd get irritated. And so I hugged her and I told her I loved her, but you know, was my wedding weekend, and I was like, I'm going to need everyone to get it together, even you, Mom, love you. Um, And after that, like, all tension broke, and the wedding itself was beautiful, and after that, Patrick and I set off on our honeymoon, And, and we go to Antigua, and we're on this beautiful Caribbean beach, like, all tension behind us, and I decide to buy a sun hat. I think, oh, I want to look like Grace Kelly. So I buy this hat, and I try it on, and I notice the strap is broken. So I go up to the street vendor, and I'm like, oh, yeah, it, like, the strap is broken, so I'd like a refund, please. And she's like, no, can't. I'm like, um, you sold me a damaged hat. I want my money. Can you give me my money? And Patrick's just like shaking his head. He's like, Gigi, please, not on our honeymoon. And I couldn't believe it. I'm becoming my mother. Thank you.
0: This is Risk. This is Lindsay Buckingham behind me now. And we just heard from Gigi Lee. You know, Gigi is one of our instructors at the Story Studio. You can find us at thestorystudio.org. There are so many opportunities to work with the folks on our staff who also help coach stories for the show and uh, do all kinds of other creative projects. And if you want to look up Gigi, she is at J-I-J-I-L-E-E dot com. Before Gigi, we heard a little interstitial by our episode editor, Jeff Barr. Various clips from that movie, Zack and Miri Make a Porno. Hey, did you know that each week we put out a bonus story on our Patreon over at patreon.com slash risk? This week, a fascinating one that was shared by Marites Zerbano Sounds a little bit like this. Two
5: guys in big white shirts walk out with me. I take one step forward, they take one step forward. I take one step back, they take one step back. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm just going to see how this plays out.
0: <laughs> we'll also be uploading an, a really remarkable conversation that I had with David Crabb, who is the host and producer of the L.A. Risk Show and also one of our coaches and one of our faculty members at the Story Studio. Great, great conversation about all kinds of the nitty-gritty stuff about storytelling. That's going to be up there soon. There's so much great bonus content at patreon.com slash risk and it really helps us out in a huge way to have our fans help support keep this running we we really need it folks if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues june's journey is the name of this new game that you can play on your iphone or your android You are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder. It's this well-to-do family in the 1920s living in a Great Gatsby-like mansion. Each scene uncovers new aspects of the story. Some parts are in New York. Some parts are in Paris. There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not you collect information filling out your own photo album and you're keeping track of all the characters there's romance there's scandalous family secrets it feels like a really fun play or movie and i've only made it through like five scenes but i am told you could crack the case All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android.
6: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt.
0: Don't you wish you were at the post office right now? Me neither. Running a business or keeping up with your schedule takes a lot. And sometimes there's just not enough hours in the day. You've got better things to do than be rushing off to the post office. Well, Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your computer. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. Time isn't the only thing you'll be saving. With Stamps.com, you can get five cents off every first class stamp and up to 40% off shipping rates. Not to mention it's a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. No wonder over 700,000 small businesses already use Stamps.com like Risk and the story studio. And right now our listeners get a special offer that includes a four week trial plus free postage and digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in risk. That's stamps.com. Enter risk. Our final story on this week's episode, it is so fun to have Greg Fitzsimmons back on the show. If you don't know, Greg is just a phenomenal stand-up comedian. He's also got a phenomenal podcast of his own, Fitz Dog Radio. You can also find him at gregfitzsimmons.com. Here he is the last time that Risk was in San Francisco with a story we call Under the Towel.
1: So I want to talk to you guys about a massage, my first massage. My wife gave me a card for my birthday one year. and said the card was a coupon to go get a Thai massage. I live in Venice Beach and uh, on Lincoln Boulevard. And I go, all right, I'm scared. I've never had a massage before, but I'm going to give it a shot. So I go down to the place, and I walk in, and there's a cute little Thai woman behind the desk. She's tiny, and she walks me down the hallway, into the room and she says take off all your clothes and lay face down onto the towel and here's the thing about me is I, uh, I I'm Irish Catholic and I have a lot of body shame <laughs> and, I, and I speaking of which last week I went to Portland let me explain what happened last week this folds into another story I was in Portland anybody been to the Everett house in Portland Oregon you've been there so I get a massage there, and then afterwards they go, if you want to uh, go to our spa, we have a spa. And it's got a steam room and a sauna and a hot tub. And I said, that sounds great. And the, the lady goes, I should tell you, it's clothing optional. And I said, well, uh, what, what, what option are people going with today? <laughs> and I'm, I'm scared, but at the same time, I'm kind of like exhilarated, like, you know what, fuck it. I'm going to do it. I said, yeah, let me do it. So I go in, and they give, you, they give you one towel, and I walk inside, and, uh, and I take off all my clothes, and I put the towel on, but then I start wondering, are you allowed to wear the... Do you have to be exposed completely? Are you allowed to wear the towel to the... And then these two naked women just come walking past me, and I'm like, ta-da! I'm naked! And, I, and again, this is a big thing for me, because I just... I, my whole vision, I'm just... Irish on pasty white like the splatterings of freckles, this the I see you nodding, sir. You have that There's freckles that don't make sense. Just clusters. Like why? The sun never hit here. Why is there freck and then and the orange pubic hair? Yeah? That's every girl's dream, isn't it? To blow a circus clown. And just skinny and just little uh, and not a lot of hair. The hair is uh, really only in certain places like I realize like I only have hair where there's holes like my nose, my ear my asshole clump of hair, that's it and the rest of my body is just plain, it's like a bathtub just sheer white porcelain clump of hair in the drain That's, that's what I look like naked and the legs are like twigs, and my dick is too big, and I, and it just, just slid that in there, just kind of threw that out there, real casual. No, it's, it's healthy. It's, it's a, it's a good dick. I'm happy with the dick. It's not, it's not blowing anybody's mind, but it's also, uh, you know, dick size for a man is a very weird thing to be so attached to. The size, it's so fucking like, caveman, it's just like, big, Dig, And so, so I go in, and, and I'll, also, I, said, I have a belly now. There's a, there's a belly, and I have t- little tits. I have like A-cups, saggy A-cups. And, and so I don't care. I, so I'm just walking in. I'm holding a towel, and I go into the, the dry sauna, and there's naked women and guys sitting there. And uh, I've been out of the game for a while. I've been married 20 years but I had heard rumors that uh, everybody was shaving, um, not in Portland, Oregon. No, they're growing it out. They're growing it out, big, bushy, crazy, and and so. And I don't want to stare because, again, I'm the 53 year old guy sitting in the sauna with people in their 20s. I don't want to be like, eh eh, 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 and so you have to keep your head very straight. And then just hope that somebody walks by. And then you just kind of track them with your eyes. And then you're looking out of the... They're all sitting over here, so I'm looking out of the corner of my eye. And I can't see that guy. I'm like, could be a tit, could be a guy's shoulder. I'm not sure what I'm looking at. And then this one guy walks in. Johnny Portland walks in with the man bun. Shoulders back, tatted up. And he is swinging dick, big steak, just back, hits me in the shoulder, like hurt, like he punched me. I was like, whoa, take it easy. And then he sits in the corner, sits in the corner, puts his leg up, like he's showcasing it. Like, if it was the wild, you would say he was presenting. He was presenting. And now this girl gets up to put a ladle of uh, water onto the hot stones, and she puts it on. And then, and I'm not making this up, she begins doing Tai Chi. Like, just rolling, arms going over her head, splaying, anyway, not the person you want doing naked Tai Chi, but you feel good that she's owning it. You know, it's a, like, the whole thing makes you feel free and like, yeah, we're all, we're all beautiful. Everything's beautiful. And I'm feeling beautiful about my penis because uh, the, the temperature is such that my penis is really full. <laughs> it's moist in there and it's warm and again, and you, because again, you don't want to be shrunken but you don't want to be too big either. I think, I think that raises some uh, some red flags when, I think there's a certain uh, angle. If it's above 45 degrees, I think they throw you out. It has to, it has to be under control. It's almost like a, a ride at Disneyland where the line is like if you're, you have to be this big to ride this is like no if you're bigger than this you got to get off the ride you got to get out and so I realized now I want to go out to the hot tub now the hot tub is outside now who, who went to the Everett house you, oh you haven't been in it has anybody been naked in the Everett house clap your hands did you love it did you go to the backyard to the hot tub and you go outside and it's 37 degrees out and it's raining but I feel like, fuck it. My girth is perfect right now. I can make it to the hot tub without losing any power. So I walk outside, and the, and the wind hits me, and the rain hits my dick, and it goes... And it sucks up back into my body. All of it. Every piece of flesh in my penis. All the meat. There's no shaft. The shaft is gone. It's just a crown sitting on two balls. It looks like a bald guy with hairy shoulders. There's no... And now I have to walk to the hot tub. Keep in mind, everybody's sitting in the hot tub. Their eyeballs are even with my dick. Same height. And now I gotta walk into it, and I don't give a shit. I just—I'm I, proud. Keep my head up. I walk it, but I'm mortified. I get under the water, and I just—and I—and I'm fluff. There's bubbles, so you can't see, but I'm fluffing. I'm stretching. I'm trying to get back, trying to get back to neutral again. And then all of a sudden, uh, Johnny Portland comes swinging out to the yard. Cold air, no problem. Rain makes it bigger. He gets, in, he gets into the hot tub, and just, there's a splash. There's an audible splash. The water level rises. And I just sat there. I wasn't getting out after that. I sat there till everybody got out of the hot tub. I was dizzy. It was 45 minutes. I was dizzy when I got out. So anyway, so back to the massage room. So I'm, so I'm getting my first massage. And so now I'm alone in there, and then the woman comes in, and she starts to rub, and I'm face down, and it is way more powerful than I ever imagined that this woman had in her. I mean, she's got kung fu grip, fucking hardcore. She's digging into my calf muscles with, I don't know if it's her elbows or whatever, but it was like intense pain. It It was my first massage, and I was like, oh, this sucks. I don't know why people do this. This is like excruciating pain. And she starts working her way up my leg, back of the thigh, even harder. Then she gets to the butt cheek, pushes the towel aside, puts some oil on my butt cheek, and starts rubbing like deep, deep circles, like going in like, like deep to the point where you start thinking, did I take a dump today? You start worrying <laughs> about your hygiene. And then she works her way down to so you know that little crease between your ass cheek and your thigh, that nice little smile that you got in there. She's got her finger in there. There's a pressure point. She's got her finger in the crease, and she's pushing the pressure point, and then she goes a little further down, and then a little further down, and then there was a grazing of the ball sack. (laughs) Just light, just light. I was like, okay, mistake. Goes to the other leg, works her way up, gets to the butt cheek, deep circles, finds the crease on the other side, further in. Further in, second graze of the ball sack. Now you got my attention. And now she says, turn over. I turn over. I look up. It's not the little woman from before. It's a big woman. So she begins rubbing the front of my legs and uh, moving her way up. And uh, the knees inside the thigh. Little higher. Little higher. And I start to feel a little pressure accumulating. And I may or may not have moved the towel without my hands. I was not... And I suddenly felt like I was not in control of the situation. I don't know that no was on the tip of my tongue. And we'll never know what happened, because at that moment, the cops busted the spa. They come in. A policeman comes into the room, looks at me, and says, how much did you pay her? I go, I didn't, I didn't pay her. I, I, my... My wife gave me a coupon. I have a coupon. And he goes, "Just get dressed and get out of here." So I put my clothes on as fast as I can. I'm walking down the hallway. I'm covered in oil. I'm filled with shame. I'm pretty confused. And then I open the door to the outside, and I see that there's four cruisers with their lights on, and a small crowd of people gathered. To see what scumbag comes slithering out of the massage place. And I just walk out and I'm like, I, I have a coupon. My wife gave me a coupon. <laughs> so I go home and I tell my wife the whole story. I tell her everything. And then she just looks at me and she goes, Yeah, I thought it might be one of those places. <laughs> Thanks very much. You guys have been wonderful.
0: That is all for this week's episode folks this is julia Jacqueline behind me now and we just i'm laughing because quincy my cat is playing at my feet <laughs> he's a foot guy we've got a foot guy in the house now and i got all kinds of history with foot guys is greg vincent is one <laughs> No, but we just heard from him. And you can find more of Greg's stuff at GregFitsimmons.com.
3: Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's Lifetime Membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Come
0: join the conversations around risk at our Instagram and our Twitter and our Facebook residences. We're always at risk show. We have a subreddit at Risk Podcast where people are asking us questions and having discussions about the stories. Very similar thing happening over on Facebook, the Risk Podcast Fans Discussion Group. Great group of people, very lively conversation happening over there. So come on over and say how you're feeling about this or that story and, and ask anything, bring up anything you want to us, the Risk staff, or a lot of our storytellers are there too. And don't forget that I'm doing personal coaching. If you go to kevinallison.com, you'll find out about how I've been doing these one-on-one consulting sessions with people online via video conferencing. A site called pensite.com is the room where it happens. These sessions are with people who want to work on a story, perhaps, specifically for something like Risk or The Moth. Or uh, people who want to work on presentations or pitches or wedding toasts or any sort of public presentation you might be interested in. Brainstorming, workshopping, rehearsing. I've also done a good deal of mentoring with people. Creative concerns about producing shows or podcasts, uh, pulling narratives out of people for projects you're working on. And I've done sessions, mentoring sessions, for people who were on the journey of BDSM and kink, you know, who wanted some to check in with someone about being on that journey, or wanting to get on that journey. So there's lots of options. There's half-hour sessions, hour-long sessions, and plenty of options for scheduling. Check it out at KevinAllison.com. And of course, there's a much, much bigger, a gigantic range. Of more educational opportunities over at our sister company risk and the story studio we're all one family and our faculty at the story studio is spectacular you know them by their work because they coach the folks that you hear on risk So, we have in-person workshops in New York, Los Angeles, and Minneapolis. We have online classes that you can take with other students present so that you're getting a classroom's worth of feedback. We have video courses you can purchase and download and take in your own time at your own pace. And we teach a ton of corporate workshops. Google, Pfizer, American Express, Citibank. The Story Studio has taught corporate workshops around the world. We have lots and lots of rave reviews from past and ongoing clients. So don't miss out on all of those opportunities at (laughs) thestorystudio.org. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. He's a foot guy. We've got a foot guy in the house now. And I got all kinds of history with foot guys. Is Greg Vincennes one? (laughs)
5: Foot He always likes to roam My pal's name is Footfoot Foot I never find him home I, I go, go to his house th- Knock at his th- door People come out and say Foot-foot, Footfoot, don't live here no more My pal Foot Foot Always likes to roam My pal Foot Foot Now he has no home Where will Foot Foot go? What will Foot Foot do? Oh Foot Foot, I wish I could Thank <laughs> you.